out and take it we can close our Bibles and go home healthy happy saved rejoicing amen I believe you came here because you really love the Lord you came to hear the word amen amen well, welcome everyone that's here amen good to see everyone that could make it it's good to see those that even came on their anniversary Brother Mike and Sister Cherish, Wackle Chuck, it's their third wedding anniversary today, and God bless you. It's good to see you. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. We'll just turn right to the Word. Turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Amen. I have lots of hay on my fork, so to speak, but we'll just strew it out as it comes and get to where we get to, but uh, try not to hold you too much tonight, I figured I'd title tonight Images, Images of Individual Reflection, which is really a, a subtitle to another title, which I won't <laughs> announce at the moment, but uh, just as the Lord just keeps revealing things, and you know, He's, he's infinite. As you start digging into the Word and as you keep digging deeper, you find out there's, you can't find the bottom. God is so good. Amen. Forgive me, Brother John told me on the way out, he said if my head wasn't screwed on, he'd lose it. And I had to echo his words <laughs> a lot just going around. But why don't we just bow our heads together? and Heavenly Father. Lord, truly, you are our Heavenly Father. Amen. Lord, that we don't approach you on some far-off God basis and a hope-so basis, but, Lord, we have a blood relation Amen. by a birth, O oh God, that we can approach you as our Heavenly Father. Amen. The Lord God who cares for us, Lord, yes. who said, cast all our cares upon you and Lord, we just lay our burdens down at your feet, Lord, that you would come and meet the needs of your people this evening, Lord, that we haven't gathered in vain, for you said, River, two or three are gathered in your name. You would be there in the midst of them. And Lord, we thank you that we have promises to rely on, Lord, that we don't just sing nice songs, but, Lord, they're based in the word of God, which heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never fail. Lord, so truly by your stripes we are healed, Lord. The chastisement of our peace is upon you, Lord. 
Father, Lord, uh, you care for us, Lord. And if we have any need of anything, you said if we would just come, if we would ask, Lord, if we would not doubt in our heart, we would have whatever we, we ask. And Father, we just come and asking that you would come and speak to us tonight. Lord, that you would be the, the orator tonight. And Lord, that we would have hearts to receive what you're speaking, Lord. Help me just to get myself aside that you could speak, Lord. We love you. We commit the word into your hand and the speaker and the hearer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Amen. May the Lord have his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Brother Branham preaches a message in 1959 titled Images of Christ. In this message, he starts out and he says, you know, I want to take a subject of images of Christ. He says, but what, what would this subject be? He says, the subject is what does it take to make a Christian? What does it take to make a Christian? And I want to just kind of parallel or go along with some of the service that he ministered, but take it maybe in a different way and perhaps dwell a little bit tonight on, on the negative. But uh, Brother Darren, we had such wonderful services on Sunday, and he did such a wonderful job dwelling on the positive. I trust you'll have grace with me tonight if we go on the opposite side a little bit, but... Lord willing, it's for a purpose. Amen. Well, there's many images that can be made. And an image is a reflection of something. Like a camera, a camera takes an image and it's a reflection of the light off of an object. A camera doesn't physically capture the object. It captures a reflection of what comes off of the object. And it, it captures uh, the light that bounces off of it and bounces back. And it's an image that you can now view but it's not the actual object. If you look at it, nowadays we have, we have so many smartphones and everything that people will sit at a live event and they will record it and watch it, the entire thing, through an image of the actual event. So that later on they can go back and view the image, but in reality they're viewing a reflection of what was actually taking place. When if you're there going through it and you're at the actual object, you're at the event, enjoy the event. But rather, the, the people want the image of it. They want an image of something rather than the, the actual event so they can perhaps remember it on and on and on. But it's, it is an image of it. It's a reflection of the real. An image, uh, whether it be gra graven or molten, as the Bible would describe a, a couple of images that, that, are, that are made, is a reflection of a life lived and a desire of something. Excuse me. And an artist that would make a statue 
That statue is a, is a reflection of what they had in their mind. Or when they would paint a painting, it's a reflection of what they have in their mind. They can't physically take their mind and put it on a page, but they make a reflection of us so you can understand, so you can see what was in their mind. As we know, Brother Branham preaches on Michelangelo and how he made the image of the, the, the statue of Moses and how that was a masterpiece, but that came from the mind. The, 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 the original was in, was in the mind of the artist that he began to portray something. He began to portray an image onto uh, really was a block of marble, but that block from just that block of stone or marble all the way to the finished product, every stroke or every, every uh, chisel that would be hammered off, it's for a purpose and it's meaningful and it's there, it's deliberate. There's not a mistake. They don't do, do something thinking it'll just come out and it'll just happen that way and it'll just, just come out the way that maybe according to my image or maybe it'll be better. No, it's a deliberate uh, attempt to make an image of the original thought that was originally thought. And, and so we find that the, 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 in an image is, a, is something that is deliberately made. It doesn't happen by happen chance. It's something that's deliberately there. And, 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 but there's another type of an image as, as, as an image, as I said, is a reflection. But rather there's another image that is not just a reflection, but it's actually an expression. As the, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 and 3, it says, Who being, talking about Christ, in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This is a difference in, in reflection or expression because a reflection is something that is reflecting of what was thought, whereas an expression is the original being expressed out. And now, the, but, but I, but I want to dwell on the image of reflection tonight, but slowly, if the Lord's willing, uh, move towards the image of expression because that is the purpose of the bride of Christ is not just to be a reflection, but to be an expression of the image of Christ. Amen. But we have to, as I said, dwell on the negative first in order to bring about the, 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 the complete image, if you will. But let's turn over to Exodus chapter 20. If you keep your Bibles handy tonight, I was giving scriptures to Brother Tito to translate, and I said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize how many scriptures I had, so keep your Bibles handy with you, and it's a Wednesday night, so we'll just go through the Word, and stay with me, amen, as I said to the young people last time I spoke to them, I said, I'm not trying to preach, I don't want to try and get and just preach and be an evangelist and just yell and scream, but if we can make it so it can be easily understood, then I believe that could be of benefit. Amen. You know, it's all good to preach and, and, and to have something where tonight you could be delivered and tonight you can be something. But I believe I'm speaking to the bride of Christ. To, to individuals that have known God or have known of God for a long, long time. So, uh, so if there's something that's said tonight, then maybe tonight you go home and you say, well, it wasn't so uh, uh, like Sunday morning where you just were up on your seat and you wanted to worship and praise, but rather if it's something that maybe a month from now or six months from now, you go, yeah, I remember that. There was something that was said, and that would be more important tonight. But in, in Exodus chapter 20, 
in verse 1, says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath and that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. It says, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Let's turn over to Exodus chapter 32, if you will. As we find that's a very familiar scripture to us in the the commandments as God's giving them unto Moses here and he's giving them unto him saying, listen, you should have no other gods before you. I am the Lord thy God. I brought you out of Egypt. You know I've done these things. I've shown myself to who I am. I've made myself very evident. You should have no other images before you. Make no engraven images. Make no other gods. Worship no other thing except me. Don't do that. He says, this is my first commandment. This is the, the important commandment. But now as we go down to Exodus chapter 32, we know Moses has been on the mountain for a long time. The children of Israel are starting to get weary. Is he dead? What's going on? Is he ever coming down? What's, you know, are we left alone here? Maybe Aaron's our new leader. What are we supposed to do? So we find in verse 1 where he says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mount, the people, uh, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man which brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. So here we have the, 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 what has happened, and they begin to describe exactly what's happened in, in the very first verse here where they're saying they, they didn't realize who brought them out of Egypt. They're right away saying, Moses brought us out of Egypt. Moses did this, and we don't know what happened to him, so make us another God. Give us another God because we don't know what happened to Moses when in reality it was God that brought them out. It was God that brought them out of Egypt. It was God that did the many signs and wonders, but he used Moses. It was God in Moses that used it, but the people began to look to a man and begin to glorify the man instead of God in the man. But now in the very next verse, it says, And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them to me. And the people break off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. So I want you to notice in these verses, this is not just a few men getting together. This is not just a couple of the leaders who got together. They had to go get the consent of their wives and their daughters and their sons and everybody else to come and sacrifice all of the beautiful things that they had. In other words, it wasn't just a man that said, here's a few gold things, make us a God. But they had to go to their wives and their wives had to say, I'm in. 
take it, take mine. And their sons had to say, I'm in, take mine. And their daughters had to say, I'm in, take mine. In other words, it was a collaborate sacrifice of everyone that was involved in order to make this God. That they wanted to see another God. They wanted to see the one that they figured they could make a God. But now when the people break off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received them at their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool. Now notice this, that he fashioned it with a graving tool. And now it says in the next line, it says, after that he made it a molten calf. So notice not only was this a graven, but it was graven and molten. That, in other words, it was purposely fashioned in a certain way. It was purposely made in a certain way. If you were to jump all the way down to, to verse... Um, Twenty-nine. Sorry, that's the wrong verse. In verse twenty-three, sorry. Verse twenty-two says, "And Aaron says, Let not thy anger of thy Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief, and they said unto me, Make us gods." which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man which brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And I said unto them, whatsoever they have any gold, let them break it. And so, so they gave it to me, he says, and I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. So if you ever wonder if a prophet of God and the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, because here's Moses writing this in Exodus. Moses is writing it. In the beginning of it, he says, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he says he took a graving tool and he made a molten image. He purposely fashioned a calf. And then a few verses later, he says, Aaron, but Aaron told me, I just took the earrings and put them in the fire and out came this calf. And this is just what happened. It just was happened, chance. I didn't see it coming this way. No, it doesn't happen that way. There is no idol. There is no uh, God, false God that just happened by happen chance. It was by deliberate design in order to bring it about. But now if you back up to verse 5, it says, And when, Moses, when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow it is the feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. It was a great party going on before a golden statue of a cow. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and have made them of molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. My, how quickly they forgot. How deliberate this was. This wasn't happen chance. This was the deliberate design because nowhere, if you go back in the scripture, nowhere does it say that there was a golden calf that went before them across the Red Sea. 
It wasn't there, but now all of a sudden, because Aaron, the hands of Aaron, purposely molded this, now they're beginning to worship and say, this is the God that brought us across. This is the one that did it. Now, he goes, where are you going with this, Brother Andrew? We're coming to something. But now, it says, and the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this stiff-necked people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, that I may make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God. Now, Moses did it now. Moses had not even gone down yet to see what the Lord was talking about. He had not even gone down to see with his own eyes. But because God had said this was happening, now Moses, he immediately begins to seek the Lord and say, don't do that. If you do that, the Egyptians will say things that, that you didn't have enough power to bring them out. You had to destroy them and raise up a different people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the promise you made to them. Praise God. Moses didn't try and set up and say, don't you know, I'm able, I'm more than capable. No, he reminded God of God's word. And he said, God, this isn't me. This isn't what I'm doing. This is what you've done and you've promised it. You've said it. So you need to bring it to pass, regardless of what other people are doing. Right. Amen. Amen. Now jump down to verse uh, 14, and it says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. My. And Moses turned and went down from, his, from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand, and the tables were written on both their sides, and one on the one side and on the other were they written, and the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God. Graven upon the tables. Is there making a lot of emphasis on that? Yes, because I want you to understand these tables, this wasn't just Moses writing down an oratory. God literally wrote this, these commandments on tables of stone. This writing was the writing of God. It was not the writing of man, and now it's in the hands of a very capable man. But as Moses goes down, and Moses turned down, and we know as they go down, he meets up with Joshua, and as he meets up with Joshua, Joshua says, there's war in the camp. But Moses already knows that's not what's happening. Because God already told him that they're, they're, they're offering sacrifices, and they're worshiping, and they're singing before a golden calf, a molten image. And he said, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it, is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but it is the noise of them that sing, do I hear? And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh to the city and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables. Now think about this. These are the writings of God. And here he takes them and he smashes them on the ground. He's that angry that he immediately, in his own weakness, oh my, the people had looked to him and glorified him instead of glorifying God in him. And now God causes him to do, make a mistake where he now throws down the tables that were God's own writing. And it seems like, oh, how could you do that, Moses? Because his weakness came out because he was just a man, not an object to be worshipped. 
And he says, and he took the calf, which they had made, and burnt it in the fire. He took the molten image, he put it back in the fire, and he ground it down. Now, now imagine the scene for a moment. Nobody's speaking. He doesn't go to Aaron and say, what's this? He grabs the calf and he throws it back in the fire. And some of the people, I'm sure, are in astonishment and shock, wondering what's going to happen, what's Moses going to do, and what's going to happen. And at this time, Aaron's kind of cooking up his story. What am I going to tell him now? He's really upset. Whatever that was in his hands, he just threw it on the ground and broke it. I mean, if I just watched somebody, let me just get a little bit on the carnal side for a moment. If I just watched someone carry two stones down a mountain, get all the way down to the bottom, and then just smash them on the ground, I would imagine that's, that's pretty upset. They're pretty angry because they went through the effort to carry two stone tablets all the way down a mountain just to break them on the ground and come over here and grab what, all, what I've been working on, grab everything I've put my hard work into and throw it back in a fire. And here Aaron begins to say, whoa, hold on a second. It's not all that bad. The people did this to me. And the people did this to me, and, and, and I just put it in the fire, and it just came out this way. It's all happened, chance. I'm just a victim of circumstance. Are you with me? But we know it was deliberate. And it was so deliberate that in the next few verses, we'll read them because it, for the sake of time, time is dragging on. But now, that, that in the next few verses, that Moses finally stands aside when he sees the nakedness of the people, that it says Aaron had caused them to be naked. To the shame of their, 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 their enemies. And, 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 and so Moses said, come aside. Who will stand on the Lord's side? Went on into the door of the tabernacle. Who will stand with me? And the Levites came out and stood with him. He said, take every man his sword. Slay your neighbor. Slay whatever you have to slay. Anyone that's under this spirit. Slay them. Anyone that hasn't got the revelation yet. Anyone who hasn't seen the breaking opening of the word of God and anyone who's still stuck in their idol worship, slay them. Now understand, as I said, this, this, this golden calf came with great sacrifice. I'd imagine some of those sisters weren't too easily giving up their earrings. They were golden. They were valuable. Perhaps they'd gotten them for their anniversary. Or they'd gotten them for their Christmas. Well, Christmas wasn't there yet. Whatever holiday they had. They'd gotten them for their birthday. It was precious to them. It was something that was theirs. But they had to sacrifice it for a false god. It wasn't easy. It was something they had to do. But that's why the scripture says, if you follow it down, where now another man came under this same anointing, and his name was Saul. And he was told, go down and kill the, the, the Amalekites, kill them all, kill the king, kill everything. And he went up and he brought up the best of the cows and the best of the sheep and the king up to sacrifice. He said, let me sacrifice unto God, but obedience is better than sacrifice. God was asking for obedience, not for them to have fleshly sacrifice. And graven images are carved over time. 
over time, the image becomes known, and it takes hard work. It might take study or focus. It might take solitude. All kinds of different things that, 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 that are difficult to be alone and to, to shut yourself off. But all of it can be just for the making of a graven image. There are men that have made modern graven images of Christianity. They've made it down through the ages where they've said that this is what you need to do. Where Brother Bam talks against it. We'll take some low-hanging fruit for a second here. Where he says, if you just shake a hand, you'll be a, you'll, you're born again. If you just, you know, believe, you're born again. If you just that, what is it? It's a graven image. It's something that was deliberately taken out of context in the Word of God to say that this is what it takes to be born again. This is what it takes. This is what it is. It's a deliberate thought process. And there's men that also have become graven images to say, you have to listen to my ministry. You have to do what I say. you got to get my tapes. you got to listen to what I'm telling you. Hold on a second. God sent a prophet. God vindicated the prophet. The same way God sent Moses. God vindicated Moses. Amen. It wasn't to look and turn around now to Aaron and say, Aaron, now we're after you. No, God had vindicated one man. God didn't vindicate Dathan and Korah, but Dathan and Korah rose up anyways to try and say, you got to believe what I'm believing. you got to take what I'm taking. you got to come on my side because we're all holy. We're all a holy nation. Right? But what happened? God said, no, separate yourself. A molten image, as this image of the golden calf, it classified as both molten and graven because it was formed in the fire, but it was also because a molten image is something that is poured. A molten image is, is a cast image. It's made by pouring into a dye. It, it, that, it, that it becomes a, a, like a veil or a covering of something. Often a harder substance is covering over a softer substance to make a molten image. It's something that back in the, the olden days, back in these days and in the Bible times, they didn't have real good dyes and things, but they would make molten images and they would do it over top of like wood or over top of stone to make it more permanent to make it better, to make it more worth something. But in this time, in, in, in the golden calf, that it was, that's all it was, was gold. It was just gold, solid and pure. But it's covering. A molten image is a covering, or a covering up of a spirit. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4 and 12, it says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. You take that back into the Greek and things you find, it says, don't get caught up in the novelty of the trial. But recognize it was there for a purpose. It's to produce gold for the purpose of God, of Christ, not to worship the image of the trial. Because you can look at what you can look at the trial and say, look at what I've been through. 
Look at what I've done. Look at what I've overcome. When in reality, it was never you that overcame it if you did overcome it. The trial is not there to be worshipped. It's not there to be caught. And the novelty of it, saying, well, this is amazing. I see how God is working in this and that. But say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What is the gold? The gold is character tried in the fire. Gold tried in the fire is character. It's a victory. The victory of the trial is there to give glory to God, not to glorify the trial. Take it in another way. You can be poured into a mold of a message believer. You can pour yourself into that. Then it becomes brazen and hard. It's a hard metal. Someone that's poured into a mold that, well, they got all the quotes, all the scriptures to justify their actions. Because they've poured themselves into the message. They've poured themselves into the Bible, but never met the author. Forgot about what it was all about. It wasn't about just living some kind of a set of rules and doctrines and certain orders to say, well, I know what I'm doing and I've lived this message so long and I've done this and I've done that. I've overcome this. I've, I've, God gave me this revelation and God gave me that revelation. But rather, it was all to glorify God. But you could get mixed up in the, what the image was all about. And rather, you become an image unto yourself rather than an image reflecting where that revelation came from, where God came from. You can also slowly mold yourself. Forgive me, I'm just laying some things in here that pray the Lord will make more and more real. You can also slowly mold yourself into what you think or what I think. I can slowly mold myself into what I think a Christian ought to be. And because it took so long to do that, and oftentimes this is the scare of someone that's raised in the message. That you become crafted and molded into what you think dad and mom are looking for. Into what you think the preacher's preaching about. When really what we're trying to get to you is for you to meet Christ. For you to get along with him so that you could get to Jesus. So you could come and get to know him personally for you. Not so you could be molded and oh, I, I shouldn't swear because the preacher said I shouldn't swear. Mom and dad says that's bad. And I can see in the Bible that it's bad to curse and it's bad to swear. I can see it's good for us not to cut our hair. That becomes a tradition. It's a graven image that's molded in a certain way because we feel like I need to dress this way in order to be accepted as a Christian. That's why the Israelites all through the book of Judges, why they always went off worshiping the gods of their neighbors because they wanted to be accepted among their neighbors. They wanted that they wouldn't stick out so bad, that they wouldn't be so strange and they wouldn't be thought of so bad, but if they could just accept me then my life would be so much easier when in reality, that's opposite of the truth. But it seems like it takes so long and it even seems even more fragile or meek. You get the two mixed up sometimes. So I'm just so meek. No, your relationship gets fragile. Oh, I'm just so humble. No, your relationship with God is delicate. Don't get the two mixed up. Yeah. Well, we can spend the whole service on that now. 
We get mixed up in it, feeling like, well, I'm just humble. I, I just let everybody step on me. Let anybody just walk all over me. That's what they did in the book of Judges. They made a graven image. They began to worship the graven images. Pretty soon the Midianites or the Philistines began to walk all over them. They said, well, we're just being so humble. And we'll just, until finally, God would finally move on their hearts and they would begin to pray for what? A deliverer. Someone that was actually meek enough to stand on the word of God. And someone that was still humble enough to not say, now I'm your king. A graven image in the message today to be formed into a certain image or to be to form yourself into what you think a message believer ought to be sometimes isn't always a bad thing. But what it takes is the fire of God to come down and anoint that. To come down and consume the image. To make it a reflection of what he is trying to get across to you. Because if you look up in the Old Testament graven images, if you look it up, what, what, what often would be said was, burn them with fire. If you look up molten images, it was to destroy them utterly. But a graven image needed to be ignited with fire so that it could be destroyed and brought back to its proper position. But a molten image is something that becomes so brazen in itself, it just needs to be destroyed. Paul, in the scripture, studied under Gamaliel. And the best reflection of the Old Testament that he could produce was to persecute the light of the hour. That was the best he could do. He'd studied the word. He knew it backwards and forwards. He could debate it over and over again. But the best he could produce was to persecute the bride of Christ. To persecute the apostles. To persecute all of them. On his find as he went down. As he went down to, the, to Damascus, something changed there. And that was that he met the life behind what he'd studied his whole life. He met what the life behind it was. And when the two of them came together, he didn't immediately go out and start doing things, but he went on the backside of the desert for two years and began to restudy what he'd already studied. Because now he'd met the life of it and it had consumed what was the graven image that he built up and said, this is what a real believer is. This is what a real believer is. We stand on the traditions of what the message stands for. But when Christ comes into it, it blows all of that up and there is no more tradition. But rather it's a life that's lived out and it changes from a reflection to an expression of Christ. He says now in the message questions and answers 1954. He says, and look how he saw the image talking of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, remember the image that he set up. He says, I believe that the image that King Nebuchadnezzar made was of Daniel, a holy man. If you'll notice, King Nebuchadnezzar already called him Belteshazzar, which was his idol. 
And he made an image, and no one after Daniel had been thrown into the lion's den or so forth, no one could serve any other god but Daniel's god. Which to Nebuchadnezzar was Daniel. Because he was looking at Daniel and said, this is Belteshazzar. This is the one that I've worshipped all along. I like this guy. So Brother Brown saying he made an image. He believes the image was of Daniel that he wanted everyone else to bow down and worship Daniel. It was an image of a holy man, great statue. Everybody was to bow down to it. But the church, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel being the leader as Christ is the leader of the church. It says, and they was to bow down before his image and do worship to the image. Oh. That Daniel was the leader of the church. And here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were to bow down to the image of Daniel. They were to worship the man, not the God in the man. But rather, they wouldn't bow to it. They, they was to bow down before this image to worship the image. But you notice these times, Daniel was silent at this time. Right. So I hope you get this. Daniel was silent at this time. They had to make their own choice. In that day of the going out of the Gentile dispensation, there will be an image. What will the image be? It will be the image of Christ, but it will be the Antichrist. That will raise up, that will look just like the real thing. And Christ will be silent, waiting for you to make the choice. Will you worship the image or will you worship Christ? In other words, will you go with what the, the, the image that has been set up to be this is what Christ is? Or will you stay with the word of God? Because God is his word. Says, though it be as holy as ever, you're not to worship an image. Let me just take that one step farther. You're not to worship an image. A man could be an image. You're not to worship a man. It was God in William Branham. Not to worship the man and make him divine. Not to worship any preacher today and say he's got something special. But rather that it's God working in man. They said in proving his word, the three Hebrew children said, God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But nevertheless, we're not bowing down to any image because we're standing by the word. Any image, form of religion, get away from it. He doesn't, he totally excludes denomination right there. He doesn't say any denomination get away from it. He says any image, form of religion, a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He says get away from it. Don't be a partaker of that. Go to where Christ is at and recognize that God will stand by you. He will take the heat out of the persecution. Hallelujah. Go with me back. We'll take one step backwards before we go further. Psalms chapter 97. It says, The Lord reigneth. 
Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlighten the world. And the earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax as the presence of the Lord at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Now in all of those things you could take and you could look at and say, Oh, God is in the hills. I need to worship the hills. God is in the lightning. I need to worship the lightning. We can take the obvious example of Elijah as he was there in the cave. And the whirlwind came and the fire came and the earthquake came. And he could look at all those things and God was in that. God was in that. i got to worship this. i got to worship that. But Elijah had a true spirit in him. That he wasn't looking for an, an object or an, an image to worship of what God was doing. He was looking for God himself. And he waited for the still small voice. He waited for God himself to come. And it says in the next verse, in verse 7, it says, Confounded are all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. In other words, look, what are these images? It's not something that's just a shameful idol packing around. But it's a boast. It's someone that would actually boast themselves in it, saying, listen, I know I've got the truth. But if it doesn't line up with the word, it ain't the truth. It says, worship him, all ye, small g, gods. Zion heard and was glad. Oh, my. Worship him, all ye gods. You are made an amateur god. By the new birth, you, are, you become into the image of God. Adam was created an amateur God. He was given dominion over all the earth. And when you receive the new birth, you receive the earnest. You've received back the earnest of the title deed. It was making you a little Messiah, an amateur God. But he says, what is he saying? Worship him. These little amateur gods are not to be worshipped. There's one God that's to be worshipped. And the very next verse says, Zion, or the bride, yeah. hallelujah, heard and was glad that she was not receiving the glory. He was receiving the glory. Yeah. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 7. Are you with me still? I feel like you are. No, I really feel like I'm not getting anywhere. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It says, Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there will be that find it. Because of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. But cowardly they are, but inwardly, cowardly too, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. I don't mean to add a word in there, sorry. I read it wrong. Inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. 
Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? The answer is no. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. In other words, he say, listen, if someone has come in, in other words, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's someone that's made an image to say, I'm a believer. I'm a, I'm a good message minister. But in, on the inside, when God looks on the heart, he says, that's not a sheep, that's a wolf. They've poured themselves into a, a dye or a mold of something they are not. And he says, but... How will you know if that's the case? You'll know it because of their fruit. You'll know it because that evil tree can't bring forth good fruit. It's impossible. Every tree bringeth forth not, uh, bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Every tree, every image that comes up and says, I am of God. If it's not good, what happens to it? It's hewn down and put in the fire. It's put back where it belongs. Not set out on display to be worshipped, but to be put in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And he says, and many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in that name? In thy name we've cast out devils. In thy name we've done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. In other words, it's a graven image. Someone that's come up and has purposely designed themselves so that they knew how to take God's word and use it for their own benefit. And even use it for the benefit of others. But Christ is saying you didn't come and get the fire. Because you didn't get the fire here on earth. Man, the holy fire. Preached about on Sunday night. Because you didn't have the experience, you didn't know me. I can't let you enter in. There's another fire you have to go through. Hallelujah. It says, wherefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Amen. What sayings? All of them. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. All of them. Except you take the book and eat the book and digest the book. Sometimes when you're partaking of the water of the word, it can be so bitter because all of those golden images you had built up before that you thought this was my God or this was my God or this was my God. Now they're thrown in the fire and they're ground into powder. They're put in the water and it's hard to drink because there's so much conviction. As you're reading that and you're realizing I was wrong there. I was wrong over here. How could I have been wrong when I read the word? How could I have been wrong? Yeah. So I will liken it unto him who builds his house as a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came down. And the wind blew and beat upon the house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. In other words, the fiery trial came, and it was not caught up in the novelty of the trial. 
It was solid that what it was there for a purpose. And everyone that heareth my, my sayings and doeth them not is likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew, he got caught up in what he thought it was all about. And the house collapsed. We have to be careful how we approach trials. That we don't approach it with an attitude of, well, this is just God's doing. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever comes my way, comes my way, and it'll just happen the way it happens. But you gotta pour yourself in and apply yourself in the Word of God. Apply yourself by prayer and asking God, why am I going through this? Why is it when I pray and I say I love you and Lord I'm here for you, suddenly the devil attacks me? It's not just happen chance. It's because God is saying, now I'm going to prove that you love me. Now I'm going to prove that you're here for me. Now I'm going to prove that this trial was for the molding of your character to make you a better Christian. Hallelujah. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Not workers of sin. Workers of iniquity. Will you give me 10 more minutes? Thank you. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. Paul writes, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He calls it a mystery. Brother Brown takes that and says, The mystery of iniquity is the Antichrist. And it will come to full fruition about the same time the mystery of godliness comes to full manifestation. About the same time, what's the mystery of godliness coming to full manifestation? It's God and a people coming to full manifestation that they could be like God. That he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The mystery of godliness, God and his people. So at the same time, there's the false find that's going another way. It will come to full manifestation. The mystery of iniquity. We say, well, then it's going to be pretty obvious, right? It's iniquity. He says, doth already work, only he who letteth will let. In other words, as long as the Holy Spirit is here, letting him work, he'll let him work. But then he says in the next part, uh, verse 7, the end, he says, until he be taken out of the way, until the mystery of godliness is complete and the bride of Christ and and, and the Holy Spirit are taken off the scene, then he comes into full manifestation. He says, and then shall the wicked be revealed. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even so, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Wow. Power, signs, lying wonders. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never even knew you. 
says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Notice it wasn't that they didn't receive the truth. They didn't receive the love of the truth. They forgot to receive the life behind the word that was being preached. He says, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, and verse 11 says, and for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie and that they might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So we find here that, that those that re- could not receive the life behind the truth, that they would believe a strong delusion or a form of religion that would rise up and that would deceive them to the point where they would even believe a lie and be damned by it. The Brown says, just like Eve believed a lie and was damned by it. With me to Romans chapter 1. We'll try and close with this and one more scripture. Just to bring it home for tonight. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So here we find the same thing. Those that had the truth but didn't receive the life. Because that they, would, that they which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. Who showed it unto them? Not a man. God. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Let me read that again. For the invisible things, in other words, things that are not visible to the eye. But he said, of him which from the creation of the world are now clearly seen. In other words, they've been clearly made manifest. They've been clearly shown to be truth. Being understood by things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. My. That someone could be so deceived yet be without excuse. Because not only were they told the truth when Brother Adam was here. Not only were they told the truth and preached the truth. But rather God came in behind and backed it up with signs and wonders and signs and wonders and signs and wonders. So that all the things that they'd heard about as the invisible things were made known by a visible man to them. Which was, the, which was God revealing himself. And how many people believed? Just a few. Well, the scripture says they'd be without excuse because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. <laughs> it's telepathy. It's a circus trick. It's a this, it's a that. Became vain in their imaginations. They look at the message, say, it's a cult. It's a white supremacy. Vain in their imagination. 
that they, they, they miss entirely what God is doing. Because in order to catch what God is doing, you have to have the life Amen. behind the word. Amen. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like two corruptible men. And to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Wherefore God gave them up to the uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So we find what happened with all of these men that, 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 that would reject the truth, that they would reject the life of Christ behind the truth. God says that, that what they did is they took it, and instead of worshiping as God, they began to look to the man. They even began to look to the animal. They get to look to different things and they didn't worship him as God. They begin to worship the creation more than the creator. The yeah. Benham says in the message, images of Christ, he says, I believe that being an image of Christ makes you a Christian. It's not what we do outwardly, it's what's happened inwardly. What makes us what we are. Then there if he is our image and we are in his likeness and members of his body. We should be images like him. Then our lives should reflect the image of Christ. Not in our joining church or in our packing crucifix or our emotions. But it should be by the living presence of the living God that's reflected through a life. Amen. Praise be to God. Let's go to one example in Acts chapter 8 and then we'll close. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. It says, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the, in the same city used sorcery. And bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out of it that, that himself was some great one. In other words, he was looking for worship in himself. That I'm somebody great. I'm doing this. He says, to whom they all gave heed. For the least, to, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. They begin to worship the creation instead of the creator because of something he was using, which was witchcraft. It wasn't God in the first place. He says, and to him they have regard because of that for a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. And when they, they believed, and when they, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed also that he was baptized. He continued with Philip and wandered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Notice what's happening here. It says that the people believed the preaching of the word of God, but Simon believed the miracles. Simon was looking at the wonders, at the power, and he was looking at the wrong place. He says that when the apostles were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. And when they were come down praying... They come down and prayed for them and they, that they might receive the Holy Ghost for as, 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 as yet he was fallen upon none of them. I thought they were baptized. I thought they believed. But yet none of them had received the Holy Ghost. I just thought I'd point that out. 
But it said that they were baptized in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. It says, then laid they, they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. This man wanted to deliberately build an image. He wanted to use the power of God to build an image unto himself. To say, let me offer you whatever I got to offer you. Give me this power. I've had power, but this one I haven't had before. I'll do anything to get my hands on the power. But denying the life. Because look at what they said to him. Because he offered him money saying, give me this power that on whosoever I lay hands he might receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter saith unto him, thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast brought the thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart, thy heart, the part that you don't see on the outside. He looked like he was a believer. He was following the revival of Philip. He was there when Peter and John showed up. He was watching everything that was going on. He was right there in the front pew saying, this is amazing. This is amazing. Glory be to God. We're having a wonderful time. But Peter, by discernment, looked down into the heart. And he said, it's not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art a gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He's so caught up in a strong delusion to feel that he can wield this power by money. That would have been the greatest money-making scheme ever. That's really carnal. Yeah, but that would have been the greatest. If I could lay my hands on you and say, you give me $10, I'll give you the Holy Ghost. You give me $10, I'll give you the Holy Ghost. Man, you'd be a millionaire, billionaire. Everyone would be coming. You'd have all kinds of money going on. But he says, listen, you thought you could do that? That's a gall of bitterness. You're caught in the bond of iniquity. In other words, Simon, you know this is wrong. You know you're wrong. This wasn't the bond of sin where he just didn't believe. No, he says, you heard the preaching. You know what you're doing is wrong. So repent that the thought of thine heart, it wasn't that he was out drinking and carousing and smoking and doing all of these things, but rather the thought of his heart. And he said, repent that that might be forgiven thee. Because you're caught in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem. My. The musicians would come. The Bible says again in the message images of Christ, he says, And the God of heaven humbled himself. The greatest that there was became lowest that there was. What a difference. 
of the so-called reflecting Christian today. What a difference. Why? The so-called Christian today wants to be served. He begins to think he's somebody. What a difference from that. If when he, when he reflected him, he never came to be ministered to. He came to minister. Let he that's greatest among you be the servant of them all. And we have seen today in our modern trend of Christianity is I'm somebody and you're nothing. Lord, help us never to have that attitude. He said it's wrong. It should not be that way. We're trying to reflect Christianity in the wrong way. God doesn't want us to do it in that way. We sang the song to be like Jesus. But when it comes to humble our pride and get down like he did, then we draw the line. Lord, don't ever let us draw that line. But rather that we would stay that way, humble. The greatest God of creation that came down, girded his robe with a towel, put down on his knees and began to wash his disciples' feet. Took the foot wash flunky place. The very God that could have spoke, that spoke worlds into existence, that did all kinds of things, he come down and just washed their feet. He died the most horriblest of deaths. Lord, let us be that kind of an image of Christ. Let it be such a reflection of him that I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be lifted up and say, look what I've done, but rather to come down and say, Lord, look what you've done. To be like Jesus. Let's stand on our feet. We sing that together. On earth I long to be like him. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like him. says in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says for whom he did for known he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren 
In other words, it was a conforming. It was deliberately it's being done. Every move that God's making, it's not just by happen chance. You're not going to wake up tomorrow. Oh, yesterday I was a sinner. Today I'm a son of God. No, it's a deliberate action of God that he brought you to a certain place to bring you down on your knees, to bring you into his presence, to bring you through certain trials, to mold you into being his son. It was deliberate. He did it that way for a purpose. I say tonight, don't get caught building your life as a graven image with no life. I'm telling you, it hurts. I know that because I've been there. Built my life. I knew the scriptures. I knew the, the, the quotes and put things together, could put things and make it so it made sense. But it was nothing but a graven image. Until one day God came down. If that doesn't happen, it's just an image of your own knowledge for your own glory. But when the life of Christ comes in and it becomes a personal revelation, then it's his image that he's reflecting down through a bride. Hallelujah. Do you know the verses to that? No, no. She doesn't know. All right. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like Him. All through life's journey. Father, Lord, that's our desire of our heart, oh God. Lord, anyone that's ever come in contact with you, Lord, there's something within them that's just crying out like a deep calling out to the deep. Lord, I want to be like you. Lord, I want to be with you. Lord, I want you to speak to me. I want to be in your presence. Lord, on earth, that's what I long for is just to be a reflection of Jesus. Lord, that you would portray yourself in me that I could express the life of God to others. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are real today. You're the same yesterday and forever. That wasn't just for the days of Acts, that they would lay their hands on them and they would receive the Holy Ghost. It wasn't just for the days of Acts that they would be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It wasn't just them, but you're the same God today. And Lord, you could still make the Word of God live in the individual to make an individual a reflection of Jesus Christ, an image of Christ. Lord, we just ask that you'd come and take the words that were spoken tonight. Make it real to our hearts, Lord. Father, that we wouldn't find ourselves days down the road just walking in our own way, bewildered by the trial. But Lord, help us, Lord, that we'd look up, keep our eyes on you. Lord, and know that you're leading us. That these, these, these trials, oh God, these moldings, these shapings, they're deliberate.
and for a purpose to bring us and conform us into the image of your Son. Father, we love you. We ask you to go with us now. We commit the service to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Make me more like you. Make me more like thee, Jesus, make me more like thee, oh, and give me a